1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Now, for this song, Caitlin's found my playlist from the late 80s. This is a uh, definite throwback with Def Leppard. Uh, This next conversation, though, is looking forward because the NFL Combine starts this coming week. Nobody better to talk about the draft than our next guest. He hosts the Journey to the Draft podcast, also, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast over with the Philadelphia Eagles. He is Fran Duffy at Eagles XOS on Twitter. And uh, Fran, you, had, uh, you are diligent with your NFL draft prep, but you've been a little bit preoccupied, I think, because you had to run to the Super Bowl. I know, obviously, the game didn't end the way uh, the Eagles wanted, but how was that opportunity to be part of that whole uh, madness?
3: Yeah, yeah, Ben, it was uh, obviously a wild ride. It was a great season uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles. The, as you mentioned, didn't end the way anybody uh, in that building wanted, but um still an outstanding season with a, a lot of hope moving forward as well.
2: You know, obviously this is your time of year. I was at the Senior Bowl. You were not because you were, uh, you know, again, the Eagles uh, were doing what they were, were, were doing. Does I know there's no chance you missed being in Mobile or you were willing to give up some of your time. Uh, away from the, studying the tape, or did you kind of miss it at all? Like, ah, wait, I, I it feels odd. I should be doing breaking down tape of these quarterbacks and cornerbacks, or uh, were you like, yeah, yeah I'm good?
3: Yeah, there was definitely a little bit of FOMO involved. Uh, I think when, you know, you're, especially, you know, you go on social media and you see some of the clips uh, being shared, whether it's during the day and it's uh, practice footage, or if it's you know at night and you're like, oh man, I could go for some oysters uh, right now. Or something like you know, uh, sort of the, uh, the nightlife you miss uh, down in Mobile, Alabama, as well. But um, obviously, it's a, for good reason, uh, the Eagles preparing for the Super Bowl. If the Eagles had lost that NFC Championship game on Sunday night against the uh, San Francisco 49ers, I would have been on a plane uh, Monday morning to head down to Mobile. So uh, that is a, literally a Super Bowl trip, is the only thing keeping me from the Senior Bowl every year.
2: All right. Well, that's a good excuse to miss all that, but you, I, I presume you will be indianapolis for the draft and i wanted to get your take on a bunch of different draft topics Uh, i guess uh, start with this you know there's always this notion of is it a good draft is it not a good draft and you know i tell people that's about potential none of us know for sure what's going to happen but we're just talking about potential and i'm curious how do you see this draft broadly and then specifically what do you see as the strengths of this particular class
3: well, I think this is going to be a beauty in the eye of the beholder draft. You know, I think at the end of the day, um, you're not going to look at this group outside. And the, the joke we've made on the Journey to the Draft podcast is, you know, we're looking at mock drafts all around the Internet uh, over the course of the fall and then and now into the spring. has been, all right, we, we know who the top four players are. All right, It's going to be two quarterbacks and those two stud defensive linemen, Will Anderson and Jalen Carter. And then, then what happens, right? And it's almost see, like you, you play boggle with every single one of these mock drafts where it's like, all right, who, are the, who fills out the rest of the top ten? Because there's not really anybody that is a concrete, oh, yeah, this guy is number five, this guy is number seven, this guy is number ten, where everybody's on board with that player being drafted in that type of slot. So there's probably, you know, 20 names that are being discussed in the top ten, which as we sit here at the end of February, getting into March, it's kind of unique to have that. And so a lot of people will look at that and say, oh, it's, just, it's, a, it's not a very good draft. What I would say is that every draft has talent. Now it's about trying to make sure that you try and sync up uh, the talent that these players have, because all these guys have holes. It's about trying to figure out how do you best deploy them in your system on offense or defense. And, you know, there's examples of that. Every single year, right? I mean, Terry McLaurin was not a guy that, uh, that was perfect and, ha- and did not have holes when he was coming out of Ohio State. There's a reason why he was not a first-round pick. So if he was in this class, we would not be saying, oh, yeah, Terry McLaurin, he's going to make this receiving class uh, a great draft, right? But then you get him into Washington and you start to massage some of those skills. You say, oh, like, this is how this guy can be used. This is how we can deploy him. And now all of a sudden, he's one of the better receivers in football. Well, that's kind of how I look at this entire draft and say, OK, uh, you know, there, there are going to be guys that are going to go day two, early day three. Maybe this year's Mr. Irrelevant becomes a starting quarterback once again. Right? <laughs> right. Every single year, there are examples of these guys that, you know, that come out of the woodwork and are able to become uh, NFL starters. And so um, while I think a lot of people are, are going to be quick to say it's not a very good draft, I would say that there's talent everywhere. You just got to find the best way to be able to use it.
2: You know, you referenced the Mister Irrelevant, which of course last year was Brock Purdy, who went on to have an incredible uh, year, kind of out of nowhere, save San Francisco' season when they had injuries at quarterback, and his only loss as a starter, right, was the NFC Championship game. He was the last pick in the draft for you, and maybe when you've talked to your peers, does it make you okay? I got to look even harder at some of these deeper quarterbacks because you never know. What you know? What, what's going to happen here? Does, does it make you kind of think? Oh, I got to k- take a longer look at or whoever it is, Clayton Tune or whoever it may be out there. Is, is any of that kind of happening?
3: Well, I think that that's how there's going to be certainly be a narrative with that. I know at the Shrine Bowl, which happens you know the week before the Senior Bowl, leading into Senior Bowl week, uh, a lot of people out there are like, all right, who's going to be this year's Brock Purdy? Because Purdy was at the Shrine Bowl in Las Vegas last year, um, so a lot of you know that narrative is certainly going to happen. And I'm sure once uh, Mister Irrelevant is on the clock here, here in his class in this draft in April, that will be a discussion point. But I do think at the end of the day, look, um, it goes back to what I said earlier. You watch all these players at every single position and there's a a range of outcomes with all of them. So not everybody is going to be a hall of famer. Not everybody's going to come in and and, uh, play even a down in the NFL. So you have to understand what, what is that range of outcomes with every player and how, if you're a team selecting a player, how do you best get him in the best chance to, to reach that positive set of outcomes? And, you know, I think with Brock Purdy, uh, there are certain physical limitations that people were quick to kind of dismiss him. Uh, and that was a reason why he fell. Um, but he showed that it's not just about the tangibles, especially at the quarterback position.
2: You know, speaking of the quarterback position, I'll just, I'll, I'll say I'll spring this on you, but you can handle everything here. Is there somebody, I mean, it's, it's, as we just said, it's sort of the cliche question at this point, but is there somebody who's going to be of a day three guy, which, you know, for Washington, I think is probably the more realistic space where they would look for a quarterback is there somebody for you that you kind of like and would think teams should be given a longer look at? You
3: know, I think that one guy that is kind of fitting that moniker, and honestly, if you were to, like, open Google right now and like just started typing in this year's Brock Purdy is, my guess is the first one would be Jake Hayner, uh, the quarterback from Fresno State that uh, you saw down at the Senior Bowl uh, in Mobile, Alabama. And it was a weaker crop, from what I understand, of quarterbacks down there in Senior Bowl. You know, they've had a first-round quarterback – Every year for as long as I can remember, um, and it does not look like that is going to be the case this year with the group that was down there in mobile, just uh, a lot of the, the big names just did not go down. Will Levis being the the Big one, uh, there that had, you know, potentially a first round pick, potentially a top five pick, um, that was a senior that did not go down to the senior Bowl. But I think when you look at Hainer, um, this guy is repetitively accurate. He is, his ball placement, his touch are really, really impressive. Um, he's got a, you know, a lot of those kind of intangibles, you know, the, the moxie, that it factor that a lot of people will give a lot of credit to to Brock Purdy for having, and a big reason why he had that success. He's a great caretaker of the football. He rarely puts it in harm's way. He's tough as nails. Uh, In the pocket, um, I mentioned the accuracy. That's not just from in the pocket, from a clean pocket, but even on the move when he's under duress, um, his ball placement and touch really, really stands out. So you know, when you look at him, it's all right, well, this is a smaller quarterback. He doesn't have great arm talent in terms of uh, the velocity and the power and ability to drive it to all areas. But he knows how to play the position. His mental processing is really, really impressive. He can get through progressions well. Uh, and then I mentioned the accuracy, the toughness, the poise, all of those things he's gotten spades. And so there's a lot to like there with Jake Haner. It's just a matter of understanding what the ceiling is, most likely moving forward to the NFL.
2: Uh, we're talking with NFL draft analyst Fran Duffy. You can listen to him uh, on his podcast, Journey to the Draft. Um, you mentioned earlier that after the top four picks, which we kind of have a feel of who those players will be, but the order to be determined, that it's kind of wide open. And if it if it's feeling that way, where there's maybe 20 players being projected in the top 10, um, who for you is somebody that at the combine coming up that could make the biggest move, whatever it is based on their physical, mm-hmm. their meetings, who is the person you think has that opportunity to make that move and, and take advantage of what's, like you said, is a wide open uh, draft this year?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think when you look at someone that could, like, make that move into the, the top 10, you know, top 12 into that discussion, um, you know, the one player that I am a really big fan of that, um, you know, he unfortunately faced an injury midseason, and that was Nolan Smith, the pass rusher from Georgia. He's a little bit on the smaller side, um, was a starter the last couple of years. He was the number one recruit coming out of high school uh, back in, what was it now, 2018. Um, but he's now become uh, number one the, the number one ambassador for that Georgia football team, the leader of that team, even with the injury uh, that forced him out of the latter stages of the regular season and out of the college football playoff, you saw him on the sideline um, really just helping to lead that team and coach that team. Um, so, But I, Nolan Smith has got athleticism for days. He's got power in his body to be able to move players backwards uh, as, a, as a pocket pusher. Um, he can defend the run extremely well. So I, I think you look at Nolan Smith, he's a guy, I, I don't know where he's at from a from a Point. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to go next week, but uh, I think that, that would be a guy to, to keep an eye on when he does test to kind of remind people. Oh yeah, like this guy is an electric athlete uh, off the edge. Another guy that I'm just excited to see though, and I don't know that a great combine is going to put him up in that pantheon of top ten, top twelve. But Jackson Smith and Jigba, the wide receiver from Ohio State, um, missed the entire season this year for the most part. I think he caught like uh, three passes or something this year for the Buckeyes, but um, was considered to be the consensus number one receiver coming into the year, missed most of it with injury, and now he's kind of in that bucket with a bunch of other players at the position. And So um, if he can go to Indianapolis and have a really good workout, well, now that kind of puts him back on the the map as like, oh, yeah, don't forget about Jackson Smith and Jigba.
2: All right. Let me ask you this. Let's go to the t- that tippy top of the draft that you alluded to. Two quarterbacks probably going in somewhere in the top four picks. The Chicago Bears have the first pick, and typically this is you know a team that had the worst record. And you say, okay, there's a quarterback here in Bryce Young. There's also CJ Stroud, Ohio State, but Bryce Young generally seems to be viewed as the number one qu- quarterback. He's sitting right there. Take that guy, but. They already have a quarterback. They drafted Justin Fields a couple years ago. Fields had a much better sophomore year than of a, 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 his rookie year, largely because of what he did on the ground. He rushed for what over a thousand yards, which is a crazy number. But there's still questions about him as a passer in the NFL. He's become a fan favorite, though. So it's this weird, tricky dynamic of the fans there have gotten attached to this guy, viewing him as the possible quarterback savior but there's somebody else sitting right there if you're the, if you're the bears do you look to trade the first pick down lean into fields and get more assets obviously for that pick that you can use or the other way look to trade fields knowing you think hey Bryce Young is the better way to go
3: Well, what I would say is that, number one, I think that they should be looking at all possibilities. I think you explore everything and and just see what that would look like. You have those discussions, number one. Um, But I I think, number two, look, for me on the outside, and there's obviously uh, limitations to what we have being on the outside, right? All we can go off of is what we see on Sundays and what we watch on tape, and we don't get a sense of the value that Justin Fields brings or doesn't bring, um, you know, on uh, Monday through Saturday. But I, I think when you look at uh, Justin Fields on the outside looking in, they're like, yeah, like let's continue to build around this guy and see what he's got. Now, uh, the idea being too – is that if you can trade down in this draft, you keep Justin Fields, you trade down. What I would personally try and do for Chicago is try and get picks for down the road as well. Make sure that it's not just picks in this draft, but pick up future draft capital just to kind of cover yourself in case Fields doesn't work out. Now you've got some flexibility to make the moves uh, later down the line. But I, I think that Justin Fields has shown enough to give you you faith that, okay, let's continue to build around him, build up that offensive line, which was still one of the worst in football this year, continue to build up that group of receivers, which was one of the worst in football this year, right? Just looking and trying to give him the best, put him in the best position to try and succeed. And I think that that's the difference between where, you know, Jalen Hurts going from year two to year three versus what Justin Fields is facing And, you know, Jalen Hurts, had one of the best offensive lines in football the last couple of years. They went out and they got A.J. Brown. They paired him with a top-ten pick in Devontae Smith, one of the best tight ends in Dallas Goddard, and one of the best run games in football. And and that allowed uh, the the Eagles to be able to get a really good sense. You know what? Is Jalen Hurts the guy or is he not the guy? Because if he doesn't succeed in this situation, then we know we have to move on. But what did he do? He went out and he had an MVP-quality season here this year. Now, it's unlikely that Chicago is going to really turn everything over to give him that – the quality of supporting cast. But I think that you want to try and give yourself the best guess to try and see, is this the guy moving forward or not? Now they might say with their, their internal evaluations and say, you know what? Uh, Justin Fields just isn't the guy. And if that's the case, but yeah, you try and make this move now. You don't know if you're going to get the number one pick next year. You don't know if you're going to get the number two pick next year. Uh, all eyes right now, moving forward to 2024, are that that those two quarterbacks at the top, Caleb Williams from USC and Drake May from North Carolina, are going to be you know picks number one and picks number two. That's what that's what it seems like a year and change out. So you want to put if you want to put yourself in position to potentially make that move a year from now. Um, you know, I think you you would be best moved to just try and make sure you acquire future assets so uh, I think that's the way you're looking at it if you're Chicago Um, me personally I would say let's make sure that we uh, continue to build around Justin Fields and really give him the best chance he has shown enough in two years to give us that give us that ability to give him that at least that third year if not more than that uh, to prove that he isn't the guy but um, certainly to uh, to me you have to have discussions you're you're not doing your job uh, if you're not having those discussions internally.
2: Uh, Fran, great stuff. I'm going to squeeze in one quest. I got 30 seconds left before Caitlin yells at me. Uh, Tight ends. I'm fascinated by this position this year. There's a lot of guys who could go in the first round. At what point do you think is fair value to take a a tight end this year? Because obviously that's a massive position we saw in the Super Bowl. Both teams have really good tight ends. It's a difference maker. What point do you think is fair to start taking tight ends in this draft?
3: I think you look at day two and I think that's where you start really kind of hammering it because there, there are a lot of quality options like you mentioned we just haven't seen a lot of success with first round tight ends and if you're looking for an instant impact at the position I think you're probably better served saying you know what uh, let's either go into the free agent market or uh, give give these guys time to develop I, I think that uh, you get into day two and that's where you kind of get into the soft spot you referenced those two guys uh, Travis Kelsey was a third round pick coming out of Cincinnati Dallas Goddard a second round pick coming out of North Dakota State or South Dakota State give those guys guys time to develop uh and take a Monday
1: too. at
2: eagles xos on twitter go listen to fran on the journey to the draft podcast fran always appreciate the time man hopefully i will run into you in indy somewhere and uh enjoy the week
3: i plan on it. we will see you next week
2: Ben. awesome uh great stuff there from fran duffy we've got plenty more here to discuss commanders we'll talk a little bit of college basketball here in a few moments here on 106.7 The Fan. All right, welcome back to 106.7 The Fan. Ben Sandek here with you until 1245. Uh, We'll get back to some more uh, Commander's specific talk later this hour. Um, I, I asked our last guest, Fran Duffy, who does a great job covering the NFL draft, asked him at the end what he thought about what he thinks about the tight end group this year. And the reason it's so interesting to me is not only there are probably about four players, including Michael Mayer from Notre Dame, probably the most notable name out there who, um, who could go possibly in the first round, depending on who you believe and listen to out there. I think tight end could be in play for Washington. Now I'm not saying I've heard that for them in the first round. I'm just looking at the situation. Logically, if they move on from Logan Thomas, who is a potential cap cut, you know, what do they have? You've got John Bates, who's more of a blocking tight end, and you've got two, you know, uh, prospects, you know, in uh, Armani Rodgers and Cole Turner, who would they have a combined eight catches as rookies that showed some promise? And I think with Rodgers in particular, the fact that he was a college quarterback who ended up playing a decent role for Washington early on before he got an injury, you know. They could be interesting, but right now they're just like sort of claved to mold. That's not really a definitive piece for an offense. And we don't know what they're going to be. Could Washington, if they say address some of their offensive line needs with veterans and free agency, could they possibly go for one of these guys? I don't know. Fran mentioned you start day two looking at tight end. That would be where he would go. And that does seem like a reasonable approach, but I think these guys are interesting. And if Washington were to, particularly if they were to trade down from 16, perhaps that's something to keep in mind there. We'll talk more about the draft and the commanders a bit later. Um, Up next, though, look, college basketball is not where it was back in the day. But Maryland has a massive game this weekend, and Georgetown's got a massive decision ahead. That's coming up next here on 106.7 The Fan. Time to move from the gridiron to the hardwood. We're going to talk college basketball here with uh, analyst Jeff Goodman here. Jeff joins us, of course, on the BetQL guest hotline. Sports betting has come to Maryland. Don't place that first bet without checking with BetQL. BetQL analyzes every game to find you the most profitable betting opportunities. Get three free days of BetQL access by downloading the BetQL app or visiting BetQL. Dot com And while you're on the internet, of course, make sure you check out Jeff. He's out on Twitter at Goodman Hoops. He's part of the, the Field of 68 uh, feed that's always got great guests on. And he's a college basketball analyst for Stadium. He is a busy man. Jeff Goodman, how are you?
4: I'm well. I'm well. I'm just actually going in to meet my nephew, late call, at uh, Encore Casino this morning outside of Boston, watching games there. Um, and they just, I guess, legalized sports betting in Massachusetts. I haven't been back in Massachusetts that much. Uh, this winter, I was smart, got out of Massachusetts because I only have one kid She's a freshman in Indiana. So, we rented a place for six weeks in Charleston and avoided this crappy weather that I'm now dealing with back,
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, qu- quite the, the wacky winter, uh, for the northeast this year. We certainly saw a lot of it with Buffalo, and obviously. Uh, yeah, Massachusetts is not too far away from that. Uh, while it's freezing up there, perhaps the college basketball is definitely heating up. We're only a few days away from March, which obviously is when everything gets particularly uh, uh hyped for, for this sport. Um, you are great every pretty much every day, I think, on Twitter saying, Here are the games of the day. I imagine tomorrow you're gonna have. Northwestern at Maryland as one of the games of the day. I don't know that you would have predicted that that on February 26th you would have predicted that would be one of the games of the day a few weeks or a few months ago but here we are uh, Maryland uh, under Kevin Willard. How surprising is this to you what they've been able to do in his first season without really a stacked
4: roster? Shocking. I mean and again the best parallel I give people is you could have been Louisville easily if, if you're Maryland fan, right? You could have been Louisville because they came in with very similar situations, right? Both coaches walked away middle of the season, thirds probably early season a year ago. The programs were, 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 a train wreck the rest of the way, right? Irrelevant. And they both hire new coaches. Willard, obviously a college guy, Kenny Payne, a college guy too. it, it, it Louisville, but he had just been in the NBA in the last couple of years, and the, the differences are, are drastic. Willard put together a great staff. Kenny Payne did not. Uh, Willard went to the portal. Kenny Payne did not. Willard has guards, veteran guards. Kenny Payne has one guard, and now you're looking at it and saying Maryland is an NCAA tournament team, and Louisville, which I'm sure Willard's kind of laughing at, is. his Experiences at Louisville uh, is a laughingstock of the entire season in college
0: basketball.
2: Um, what what is it? Uh, okay, from the outside, and I have not been to a Maryland game this year. Uh, you know, they have been kept busy with the, with the Commanders. Uh, yeah. But watching, like, look, Mark Turgeon's a very good coach. It clearly that relationship between him and the fan base fractured towards the end, and led to him choosing to go. One thing that I always found frustrating is. He, there didn't always seem to be the energy on the court that like, I think from like a fan base wants to gravitate towards. And it feels like with Willard, I don't know if it's because he's got that sort of uh, a certain like Gary Williams-ish tough guy mindset, or he's just willing to play more pressure uh, defense or whatever it is. I just feel more energy out there. Is that kind of sort of a little bit of the coaching secret that's got going on here? He just has more of that juice that maybe they kind of lacked in the last few years.
4: It's so funny. I don't know if I'm allowed to admit this, but I didn't like Kevin Willis when I first met him, and, and I didn't like him. He was he was like a young dude on the on the bench with the Celtics when I was young and covering the Celtics uh, a little bit, and I was like, this dude just looks so arrogant. What the hell's he done? You know, and and. Now I'm not kidding, one of my favorite coaches in the country. Love him. Love him. Like absolutely. cuz there's no BS with Kevin Willard. There's none. Zero. Now there was no BS with Turge either, but I just don't think Turge really fit in college park. You know, he didn't he didn't want to play the game. He didn't want all the attention, all of that. He just wanted to be a ball coach. I think Willard while again, still most of what he wants to do is coaching. He will go out in the community. He will shake hands. He will play the game. He'll meet with the NIL people. He'll do what he has to do. And he's got a job now that he understands. The, the ceiling is so high for this Maryland job. Maybe not as high as some Terps fans think it is. But still, much higher than Seton Hall where he had to grind it out. And at one point, you know, they were talking about firing Kevin Willard after the first five years of Seton Hall. And he completely flipped that thing and did an incredible job at a, at a difficult spot.
2: All right, we're talking with uh, college basketball analyst Jeff Goodman at Goodman Hoops on Twitter. So, yeah, this game is, you know, huge in the Big Ten standings. Northwestern right now, everybody's chasing Purdue at the top. Maryland beat Purdue recently. Uh, Northwestern is second. And then here comes Maryland, one of four teams at 10-7 and seven in the conference. Northwestern's 11-6. Uh, Obviously, it's it's shocking that Maryland is doing what they're doing, but Maryland historically has been a really good team. Northwestern, not so much. What has turned around for Northwestern, and what does Maryland need to be on the lookout for in this matchup?
4: Uh, Older guards. You know, I I remember talking to Chris Collins in the offseason, and I was like, man, basically, like, you're done. Like, I don't know how you're going to keep your job. You know, Obviously, he went through that magical run a few years ago getting to a question of the NCAA tournament for the first time ever. But kind of the shine's worn off. He's got a new athletic director. But he loses Pete Nance, transfers to Carolina, and Ryan Young, his other best big transfers uh, to Duke. So I'm like, how are you possibly going to keep your job? And he said to me, he goes, listen, my two veteran guards, Boo Booey and Jason Hadid, have to be all we got, And they have. They're older. What do you win with? Guards, older guards these days. He's got two of the best. Boo-boo, he's playing like an all-league player the last 10 games, and, and they've been really good. And Chase Adige might be the best defensive player in the Big Ten, and, and he's gotten better on the offensive end also. And their bigs have just played their roles. They've played their roles, and you know what? it's is, it, you know, it, it's, it's a hell of a drug. Right, and they've got <laughs> right. that now. They feel pretty good about themselves, and they got this thing going with no expectations.
2: All right, so if you look at this matchup, I just said that Northwestern's one game ahead of Maryland in the Big Ten standings. If you look at Ken Palm, Maryland is eighteen, Northwestern forty-two. So still both pretty good, but a bit a bit of an edge there for for Maryland. Maryland is fifteen and one at home this year. But Northwestern is six and three on the road. They're only one of two teams in the Big Ten with a winning road record on the season. What's your thought? What do you think happens uh, on Sunday?
4: I mean, I I don't bet against Maryland at home in College Park. Like you just don't. Like it just, it's not smart to go against the Terps there um, with that crowd. You know, it's one of those places. Funny, we were talking about it. I don't know who who I was excited about last night? Jim Root and uh, we did this uh, show on Sirius last night, and he said he gave me numbers of Big Ten, Big Ten home uh, home records this year, and it was really ridiculous. And, and people don't understand the home court advantage for most Big Ten teams. Ohio State throw that one out the window; they don't really care there, they don't show up. But <laughs> most of these other Big Ten venues, like I was at Indiana, Purdue last week. I'll put Purdue in the top five in the country. Like Kansas, Duke, probably Purdue might be third right now. They're that good. And, and they're not alone. Indiana's great. Maryland's great. Michigan State's great. Michigan's good. I mean, the, the venues in the Big Ten and the home court advantages are are insane.
2: Yeah, no, the Xfinity Center has definitely been uh, rocking again, and that's going to be exciting to, to see, we're talking uh, local college hoops with Jeff Goodman, college basketball analyst at First Stadium. Let's go to the other end of the D.C. Uh, college basketball scene. For years, of course, it wasn't just Maryland uh, that you had to pay attention to nationally from these parts. The Georgetown Hoyas, needless to say, you know, one of the storied programs in the, in the, in, uh, the country, they're not that program anymore. I don't even know who they're playing next. It doesn't matter. They are miserable this year. They've been miserable the last couple of years. And all anybody wants to know is, is Patrick Ewing keeping this job? And one thing that's fun about you is that you, I think, are one of the few analysts who is willing to poke the bear, not to say, hey, look, we all get it. Patrick Ewing is a legendary player in the history of the sport and for this program in particular, but it's not working. And this is borderline embarrassing. What what, what do you you think is going to happen here with Patrick Ewing?
4: Uh, he's going to be fired. I mean, he's definitely going to be fired and probably should have been fired. I don't want to say fired last year. I, I shouldn't say that. Just that, that's probably unfair to the greatest player ever to play at, at Georgetown. So you give him a little bit more uh, of an opportunity. They did that. It hasn't worked out with different staffs, with different players. You know, obviously, he had a good three, three day run in the Big East tournament leading up to the bubble and, and, you know, Got a little bit fortunate uh, luck there. Uh, who he played in the Big East tournament and when he played him, but it's been a it's been a disaster. It's been a complete disaster. And you know now I get mocked when I try to tell people that Georgetown is a top twenty five job in the country. I get completely mocked because all these young people on Twitter now they don't remember the last time Georgetown was really nationally relevant. You know they were like ten years old. Or, or something like that, so they killed me. But I still believe firmly, and I've been to Georgetown's practice facility, so I, I know what they have and I know what they don't have. Um, I believe it's a top 25 job. I just think that they've had the wrong people there lately. You know, the end of the JT3 era, I wrote a big story then, and, you know, it was time. And they just they hired the wrong guy to replace them. You know, these former NBA guys, ben, most of them, if you look at it, these former NBA players that have been chosen to coach in college basketball, the, the vast majority of them have not succeeded. And it's different right now. Like, if Ewan came in today and had unbelievable NIL, maybe it would be different. Because I do think, like, with Mike Woodson in Indiana, he's 65 years old. I think with him, he could sell NBA. He could sell NIL because they have it in Indiana. And they got momentum there. He... he he inherited enough talent in, in Trace Jackson Davis, but they've been good enough, so they've got those three things. Ewing, you know, it was just too late. It was too late again, and you're taking a program that was so far down at that point, and you've got to work so much harder than everybody else. And I just don't think he he, he did it, and he had the right staff for it. All
2: right. You, you said you think he's gonna, Ewing is going to be out of the job uh, next year, I Again, I, I don't want to say I hope you're right because I I grew up rooting for Georgetown, Patrick Ewing, you know, a total legend, but something needs to change. I'm always a little bit nervous that their administration will be afraid to make that kind of move, but let's assume yep. that happens. The, the question then is who gets it next? And uh, or my friend, uh, Andrew, who runs the casual Hoya account down here, every single day he t- tweets the, about Rick Pitino. That would be an unbelievable get for, to get Rick Pitino on 100 levels I don't know if I see Georgetown, the, the university, embracing a Rick Patino hire, but like you said, it's a top 2025 program in theory. I, is Rick Patino a pipe dream, or do you think this is actually something that could happen?
4: I mean, I think he'd walk there. If you told him, hey, right now, Rick, you can have a job, you got to walk. It's, it's 25 degrees, but you got to get up out of New Rochelle, New York, and just start getting there. He'd probably do it. He'd probably do it. I don't know if Georgetown will will go that route. I I don't think so, but I don't know for certain whether they'll go that route at the end of the day. That's what they should do. I mean, let's face it, Rick Pitino is one of the greatest X's and O's guys ever in college basketball history. right? Obviously, he's been through a lot, embarrassed Louisville several several times. That's why he got fired ultimately. Not for this latest incident, but just the, the, the totality of everything that happened in the Pitino game at the end. Uh, but the guy can coach, and he still got fire. Um, you know, for the next – here's what Katina would do. He'd allow you to get the program some stability, get some momentum. So in three years, five years, he And the next guy isn't going to have to completely rebuild it. And, honestly, could pick up a, a better coach. That's the other thing is, again, right now – there's only certain coaches that are going to look at this and say, like, all right, you know what, I'm going to take it with a total rebuild. It's not a top 25 job today where it could be back to a top 20, 25 job. If you gave it to Rick, you know, in three or five years and you could get maybe not an elite coach, but a, good, a really good coach. Where well, I don't know if you can get that right now.
2: Uh, so that said, I, and I agree with you. It just it feels like Rick Patino that the Georgetown administration, it just doesn't feel like it's the right the, the right match. Yeah. Um the other name that gets mentioned a little bit these days has been Mike Bray, who's you know gonna be leaving Notre Dame, but he I think he told you he still wants to coach. I don't know what you think of Mike Bray or is there other names out there that you think make realistic sense or you've heard some buzz about about them possibly being in play here?
4: I mean, Mike Bray 10 years ago. Yeah, hell yeah, I would I would have signed up for that in a heartbeat. Mike Bray now, I don't know, and I love Mike Bray, and obviously he's the guy, um, great great dude. Everybody loves Mike Bray. I just you know they've struggled lately in Notre Dame, so I, I think he's lost a little bit in his fastball. I'm not sure he can get it. I think maybe he's down the list. You know you hear it names like Tommy Amaker at Harvard. You know again, this is a major rebuild. Like, to me, you better get a guy who's willing to work tirelessly. I don't know if that's Tommy Amaker. I don't know if that's Johnny Dawkins at UCF. I think you need a younger dude who's going to absolutely grind it you know, 24-7 and just be so happy to have this job. I don't think that's any of the three guys that we've mentioned. Ray, Dawkins, Amaker. All right.
2: Well, we'll see. Uh, you know, something's got to give. One way or the other of this program—it's yep. an unbelievable yeah, mess. Yep. Uh, Jeff, I really appreciate the time. At Goodman it, Hoops Beth. on Twitter does a great job. Easily one of the best um, analysts out there. Jeff, appreciate the time. Thanks so much.
4: You got it, man. We'll talk soon.
2: Look, I think that Georgetown situation. I mean, I when I started entering this world of. Uh, reporting and and so on. College basketball was probably my go-to from an opportunity standpoint for coverage, that there were just a lot of teams in town, not just Maryland, Georgetown, George Washington, George Mason, et cetera. And I, you could get people to pay you to be a freelancer to cover that. That's not happening anymore. Nobody, college basketball is way down. But in this area in particular, it is way down in part because of Georgetown is just so off the map. It's unbelievable. They've got to fix this. We'll see what they do uh, this coming offseason. We've got plenty more to discuss here on 106.7 The Fan. We'll we'll do that next. Uh, Talking commanders, wizards, and whatever else you want. 800-636-1067. All right, that was a lot of fun talking some local college hoops with Jeff Goodman in that last segment. Of course, again, Maryland hosts Northwestern tomorrow at Xfinity Center. Sold out crowd, I believe. Uh, you know, that is a fun building. Coalfield House, of course, the Terps home uh, for their uh, and national oh, for the national title team. And, you know, so many great years under Lefty, Drizell and Gary Williams. That was my favorite venue to watch sports, period. Any sport, uh, anywhere. Xfinity is not that nothing can be that, but Xfinity is a, is a really energetic place when everybody is there and this team is good. And right now Maryland is definitely, uh, definitely that Uh, obviously, you know, the the Washington commanders have not exactly had a home field advantage in recent years. Uh, I will be interested to see does Eric be Like, I don't know that Eric be is pushing people to buy season tickets, or anything like that, but does he, his presence give people more hope? He is clearly, like, say whatever you want about Scott Turner, the former offensive coordinator. He didn't exactly bring the energy at a press conference. I say that as somebody who sat in many a Scott Turner press conference, which not necessarily his job to do so, but, you know, I always feel that, like, when you're at enough of these press conferences or when you're around these people uh, uh, enough, even if they try their best to present an image that isn't truly them. At some point, the real them comes out. You get the version that is going on in the locker room when we're not there behind closed doors um, on game day. You eventually see that person. I'll I'll be honest. Like when I would cover the wizards, one of the reasons I was at some point I became disillusioned with Scott Brooks is that he never changed. He was always the same kind of chill, everything will be fine, we'll figure it out kind of vibe. And obviously things only went worse for him over the course of time, and I felt like on some level that may be because he wasn't giving enough juice or energy or he just didn't have that gear to help get his players when they need it to be a little more energetic and focused. Uh, I don't feel like that's going to be the issue with Eric enemy It will be interesting to see does his – over time, does him being sort of always on, if the version we got at the press conference is the real version, does that wear on players over time? Long way to go before we even get to something like that. But I think there's no question that fans are going to be excited that the guy who was Patrick Mahomes' coordinator is now here. They can, and look, if you want to be, uh, you know, go in there with blinders on and ignore. You know any potential signs of of, of flaws or, or questions? You know, rock on. There has not been much to root for in these parts. Granted, by the time <laughs> Eric Enemy coaches a game, the real fun may be that Dan Snyder is no longer the owner of this team, and that will get the people back in droves. You would think it may take a little bit of time to get everybody who left the organization, the fan base, I should say, to get fully engaged again, but that above all, would be the absolute difference maker when it comes to having people join uh, join th- their brethren at FedEx fields. Uh, we've got plenty more to discuss. We'll talk commanders. Uh, we'll talk wizards. Whatever you got next at the top of the hour, 800-636-1067. We've got some calls on hold. We'll get to that all next.
1: Ben Standick here until 1245 on 1067 The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.